Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friendly Unknown Module 3. I am so excited to be here speaking with you. If you're following along with this little pod class, thank you so much for joining us. This is week three of the series. Just before I get into today's content, I just wanted to say for anyone who's taking this class live with us at the time that we're airing this, feel free to go over to alivelyworld.com and go join our little chat group thing there. It's totally free to join, make a little profile and be able to meet other people that are also taking the class as well and share your stories, your situations, support each other, find a beanbag buddy if you want to, to emotionally release if there's something that feels like it's coming up for you and just, you know, have some buddies to do this with you if you're curious. And also it'll stay there live, I'm guessing for some period after this as well. So if you're listening to this months or years later, you can always go pop over to alivelyworld.com and see if there is the content that you want to like look at retrospectively as well. So feel free to know that that is available totally, like I said, free to join. It has been so fun to also get all of the little messages and comments and just questions that you even sent in, which I'm going to cover in today's class as well over on Instagram at Bella Lively World. So thank you for joining there and sending me your feedback too. It's been fun to see what you're experiencing in your friendly unknown over this last week as well. As I record this for you guys, you're going to get it in our week three, but I'm actually recording one week since the actual airing of week one's episode. So interesting because the way that I did it, I did the first recording, then Tony and the team edited and then uploaded it for a Friday release date. Then I listened to to it and then recorded immediately after listening to it the module two session that aired in the second week. And now one week after that first airing and the second one was recorded, I'm now recording number three. So in seven days, a lot has changed for me. And I thought I would share because I have so many unknowns in my own journey going through this with you as well that I thought I would say, guess what? I am in Lisbon as you are listening and I'm recording this. And when I landed in Lisbon a few days ago, it was two or three days ago, when I got into the hotel room in Lisbon, which was why, by the way, to retrace my steps, why am I here? And what is the unknown? Let me go back like a few steps back. As I shared in the first week, there is a lot of things that had to get resolved and all happened within a handful of days on January 3rd and 4th. I think it was a 4th and 5th of the new year. I got my visa approval. Then I found out my dad was in the ICU, possibly living or dying. We didn't even know Um, what else. I needed to come to the United States and I needed to be off sure to lodge the application for the next stage of the visa process. That could take one to six weeks, but I had no way of knowing how long exactly it would take until I left the country of the United Kingdom. So all of this was happening. I was learning about my dad's situation, so many things unknown, and then had completed a relationship as well. So now I am a few weeks out of that situation, of that original experience, I then eventually flowed into the friendly unknown of this trip to Lisbon, which is where I decided to lodge the visa. I'm not going straight over to the United States for expat people would know the FEIE rule if you're staying outside the United States for more than 35 days, or if you're only in the US for 35 days or less a year, 
you save a lot of money on your taxes as an expat. So doing that, and as you, I have for many years, but also not knowing the one to six week window of what I would need to do in terms of the United States, I wanted to stay out when I initially lodged the visa, just in case it was going to take closer to the six week mark, which would have interfered with the FEIE, foreign earned income exemption stuff. So as I got here, once I landed, I went straight to the hotel, called the, I went to the bathroom and then I immediately called the lawyer. And then we, for two hours, I just spent a bam, 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 getting all the unknowns that I had been living with for the two weeks prior to travel. Once I got here, I submitted the application. And once we submitted, because I fully did that while I was offshore, which is the rule, then I was able to book my visa appointment date, which was this big question mark and find out whether I would be able to do the fast track or the slow track for the visa turnaround time. Would it take five days or 21 days once I actually had said appointment? Well, good news was I had 10 locations across the United States to choose from, and I chose the one in the United States in New York City just because I knew there's a lot of flights between London and New York. It seemed like a short flight, a direct flight. I knew it'd be easy to go from New York to basically anywhere in the United States, including Florida, to eventually see my parents, but just figured that'd be the cheapest, most direct, fast, easy, one-and-done kind of place to do it, then to then be able to go and see my parents once I was in. And the good news was I also was able to get the fast track, five-day track, so there's still some unknowns, but other ones are known, like my visa appointments happening on Monday. So this week of module three is actually Monday is the day that my visa appointments happening. So I will be going to do my biometrics, my fingerprinting and background check for the visa, and then bringing some paperwork they're asking for, drop off my passport. And then I'm going to find out what I don't know yet is whether I will need to uh, have to wait for them to send me the passport to Florida to my parents' address or whether I can actually um, come back to New York and hopefully go back to the same place and just pick it up five days later. I don't know if that's going to be allowed, but I'm going to hope, fingers crossed, that that might be possible, but I won't really know until I'm actually there in front of the person who's taking the passport. So there's still some question marks in terms of that, but the really great news was it was a quick appointment availability in New York and also a fast track option for five days versus 21. So those are all great pieces of information. And I even thought to myself, if my mind was able to choose, what would I want this trip to be? You know, like on a bigger step back scale, obviously, do I want my dad to be on life or death or ICU? By the way, let me give you the update on that too. He's no longer in the ICU. They just took his feeding tube out of his nose and put it into his stomach, which I guess is a forward marching step. And they're looking into rehabilitation centers. And as Flo would have it, there is a brand new rehabilitation center near my mom in their house, basically a mile from the house. So the hospital's not close to my parents' house at all, but the rehabilitation center is literally, my mom said, so close she could walk to it. So they're working on insurance purposes, making sure that he'll be able to go to that place, but that will be a great manifestation in the friendly unknown of my mom's life in terms of how she'll be able to access and see my father in the weeks and months to come as he learns how to talk, walk, and do everything all over again. So my brother, Michael, as you guys might know, I have two brothers, but one of them you might hear about more often. He's a pretty public figure too. He has a podcast called The Reaching Out Podcast. If you haven't heard of him, he's also the one of the family that's taken after me and done a bit of 
a lot, actually, a lot of years of travel around the world, too. He was just in Florida seeing my parents and now is back in New York. So we're kind of trading places. And funny enough, I'm going to fly into New York, right? So I'm hoping I'm going to be able to see him this weekend. I actually fly tomorrow to New York. I'm going to have my trip then. But if I was to retrace my steps, if I was able to pick this, and obviously my dad not being ill would definitely have been a part of my preferences in the mind. But if otherwise, in terms of the actual visa process, I was like, well, I'd love to be like a, in Portugal, if I'm going to go to Portugal for a few days, three or four, maybe five max. And then I would love to go for the five day turnaround to the United States and make that trip work out, not only for the visa purposes, but also to see my parents at the same time. It's a lot of time, a lot of jet lag, a lot of money to fly <laughs> around the world. So I'd like to be able to combine that. And here we are. And that's actually happening. So yeah, the flow seems to be flowing. And that's basically what's happened. I don't know if I've got exactly five days in Portugal, but it's been three or four nights. So yeah, four four or so days. Been able to see my friends, go to my favorite places. And I'm just so happy that I lived in Lisbon and that it's this little home away from home that I get to feel like I slot right into whenever I come back. So that's good. I go, like I said, tomorrow to New York. I'll be there for the weekend. On Monday, I have my appointment at 1115 in the morning. I picked it because of the <laughs> 1115, just the aligned ones. I felt like a good time to go. Currently, the next day, I'm set to go to Florida, although there is a part of me that is also contemplating the flow of the unknown, potentially having to do with seeing my friend Jess in Detroit for a day or two. You guys have heard her on the show. I talked to her hours and hours a week on the phone. I'd love to be able to see her. I haven't seen her in a while. So I might or might not go see her and then go spend the time in Florida with my parents because I don't know if they're going to actually mail the passport back to my parents, which might extend my stay in Florida longer. So I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to be potentially there longer, maybe I do a little Detroit stopover for one or two nights just to see her quickly. And then it would basically be a matter of like one of the days less that I might be able to see my dad. But then again, in the hospital, I'll be there three or four days, no matter what, and then possibly longer if there's an extension in terms of the sending of the passport. And then I have a return flight to London from New York because like I said, I'm hoping I can pick it up on the way back out of the country instead of waiting for it to arrive to the Florida. And also I just think it'll be cheaper to fly direct single way flights, you know, over from New York to London to get back. So let's see if that actually happens. Obviously in the following module, I'm sure you'll be able to hear what actually occurs. But overall, the friendly unknown is being pretty friendly, like it's flowing well. Um, going back to some of the content in terms of yourself, thanks for listening to my little news and update of my unknown. When it comes to your unknowns and whatever you're dealing with, or maybe you're re-listening to this, this might be something you want to listen to now and come back to later when you have an actual big, scary, potentially unknown situation in your life. Just to retrace our steps from modules one and two in terms of, I know it's been a very unusual version of a pod class because I've been going through this so personally, it hasn't been as analytical or structured as a class might seem to be. But one of the things I really wanted to emphasize with my little mascot for the class being our cute Darth Vader from Hallmark is that the unknown is simply a mirror. It doesn't have to be a scary thing that we have to fight like Darth Vader in Star Wars. We can actually make it a cute, friendly, benevolent, positive blessing that we haven't met 
up with yet in our unknown. So instead of having to look at the unknown as something we have to fight and then consciousness collapses the way function essentially to something that is scary and big and has to stress us out, can we look at it as something that could potentially bless us? And even though I would never pick, like I said, my father to be going through what he's going through, the flow of the unknown of all of these things lining up is giving me the chance to go see him, even when that initial scary thing happened and no one knew it was exactly going on and it was so seemingly touch and go from afar, as it's actually stabilizing out, I'm actually most excited to go see him now because I think now is the point in time this coming week where he might be able to say some words and also recognize that I'm there. We Michael thinks that he was able to recognize him when he was there, but he was not able to say many words and was mostly sleeping through a lot of it. So it was great that Michael was there, but I'm hoping that when I'm there, there might be, you know, maybe there'll be some more interaction I'll be able to have with him in some way or another. And also to be able to support my mom, actually, as she's looking at this rehab facility and to see the facility potentially that week. If he's transferred there, I don't know if he'll be moved there while I'm actually there, which will be interesting. Time will tell. But I just feel like I'm going to be able to have, because I'm going when I'm going, a greater understanding of what the situation is like now and how it may take shape going forward in the months to come between the new life that my mom and dad are adjusting to. So that unknown is actually aligning me up to a lot of, I'm happy I'm going now is all I can say, even though before I would have gone right away if I didn't have the visa FEIE stuff in the mix. Now I'm like, oh, the FEIE and the visa stuff's actually been in the flow. It's actually been a benevolent, friendly thing. So keep in mind that you don't have to look at Darth Vader as the unknown analogist figure archetypical energy as something bad. It could actually be something good. You just don't know why yet. You don't know why it's a blessing yet, but maybe there is. So we're going to talk more about that and how to make that a more friendly experience uh, in today's episode, actually. But before we get there, the other thing I shared about in last week's episode, if you listen to the money and career episode, I talked a lot in the beginning heavily about the midsole approach to <laughs> solving the unknown or dealing with the unknown versus the old soul approach. And as I said, the class is mostly focused on the old soul approach to the unknown. So if you're a new soul, you're probably not even listening to the show. If you're a mid soul, the content might bother your mind a bit. And if you're an old soul, you'll be like, oh my God, yeah, this is exactly what I'm what's right for me, basically, more or less. So the mind in the midsole perspective loves to have structure and loves to have action and loves to control the outcomes with what it believes from the mind perspective or mass consciousness belief system it might still be holding to be best. It should be this way. Things should be a certain way. And the outcomes that the mind wants, it really fights for or stresses if it doesn't think it might get what it decides it actually wants. The organic old soul approach, however, is much more allowing and surrendered. Two big words you hear from lots of people along the pathways of Michael Singer or Eckhart Tolle or even Abraham Hicks. You're going to hear a lot about allowing, surrendering, and none of them necessarily say completely not to have any preferences ever in your mind, but they would certainly say to then get into the flow with life and allow situations and circumstances to flow for you. So it's a little bit less like you're climbing up a hill. It's like you're allowing the consciousness to create the reality for you without so much mental effort. Effort. When it comes to decision-making, this is going to be the biggest difference between the mind-structured way of doing it in the mid-soul approach versus the old soul is going to be whether you can do it in the organic versus non-organic way. Now, a mental mid-soul perspective would 
basically be your mind shooting all over yourself. You guys have heard that word over the years with me. Shooting. Are you shooting? Is your mind shooting on you? I should book the flight. I should be there with my dad right away. I should um, have X. I should, I should, I should. Do you find the mind in whatever your unknown is, do you find it shooting on you about what should be happening, what you should be doing, when you should be doing it, when you should be planning, what decision you should make, what other people should do, all that kind of stuff. Are you seeing a lot of shoulds? <sighs> that is the non-organic decision-making process from your mind telling you on its own ass- assessed time zone, time zone timetable what and when things should happen. That is different than the organic old soul approach, which is can you allow your action to be stillness until guided from alignment within you from your inner voice or the essential same place as your inner voice to taking action. Can you be still until your intuition wants to take action? You don't literally have to listen and wait for words like the inner voicey word words like go now, make your flight now. You might hear inner voice words. There also could be a knowingness, a feeling of knowing that it's time to take action. But please remember that the knowingness of when it's time to take action might be different than the shooting on yourself mind thought of when you should take action. For example, let's say booking a flight like I just have, right? So are you shooting on yourself like I should get a flight? I should book the flight. I should know where I'm going to stay in a few days when I get to New York. I should, I should, I should. Or are you waiting until there's an actual alignment within your inner voice to taking action? And can you be still until that guidance within you is moving? moving through you to take the action. This is old soul material because a mid soul is going to say, I don't even know when my inner voice or my knowingness is coming up because it's so mentally cluttered with its mind stuff and stories and shooting on itself. It might be very hard to even get to a stillness place to actually feel that movement within you from this deeper gut heart place inside yourself into taking action. But it is actually how nature itself takes action. When I was on a safari in 2019, I met a cheetah in in the wild. And what was fascinating about the cheetah is I used to joke and say that I was a cheetah sloth. I had two modes, sloth and cheetah. And mostly it was sloth, like my inner voice didn't want to take a lot of action until it was time. And then when it was time to take action, I was a cheetah and I moved super fast and everything really got done in these short bursts in most cases. And if you think about the two hours that I described, oh yeah, I didn't get through the whole thing. So in the first two hours of being in Lisbon, I sent the application in with the lawyer. I booked my visa appointment. Then I booked the fast track. Then I booked the flights because I didn't even say this. The flow happened. I called Didi, my good friend in London. She is so good at traveling. And as I was going on the airline websites, everything was getting translated into Portuguese instead of English in a not really clear way. So I know a little bit of Portuguese, but not enough to book a flight and feel confident internationally that I've gotten the right flights and times. It was just getting a little bit of a faff. But as I was on the phone with her, she was in... Switzerland of of all places at the time. And she was on Skyscanner and she literally did the booking for me. She didn't actually book the tickets, but she found the flights that were right for me to take the best ones and then just sent me a link to check out basically with the flights that I should take. I didn't even 
anticipate in a million years that Didi would be helping me make those flight decisions. But I also was able to book those flights to basically into the US from Portugal and then out of the US to London. And that was actually facilitated in part through the flow of being on the phone with Didi at the same time. So that was a massive cheetah moment. Those two hours, I got everything that I couldn't do in the two weeks where my inner voice was saying, don't do anything yet. I got done in two hours. That was the cheetah that ended up going a million miles an hour, the fastest land animal. But when I met the cheetah that actually existed in the safari, he was laying on the ground like a sloth. And I was like, wait a minute, this guy can barely lift his head. He's so chill. He's so sloth-like. But I realized that they actually move very little of their actual day. The cheetahs themselves don't move much. They're still until they take action. And when they take action, they literally do it like me. They'll be still for the equivalent of, you know, my metaphorical two weeks, and then they'll get everything done in the two hours. So they actually run fast when they need to, but when they don't need to, they don't actually move. Now, of course, you can actually, as a human, move and go around your day, go for walks and get coffee and do your alignment time or whatever. But when it comes to taking action, finding that knowingness and honing that knowingness, that coordination, essentially, between, that's a great word for it, the coordination of your mind to be in service and alignment to your inner voice rather than trying to control the situation from your mind. Can it be of service to your inner voice to taking action? Again, it doesn't have to be in words. It could be in knowingnesses that it's time to take action. I'm sure the cheetah doesn't have an inner voice that says in any language, English or otherwise, or Spanish or Portuguese that says, get up now and go catch that antelope antelope or whatever, gazelle or whatever they're going to eat for dinner that night. I'm sure there's just a knowingness that emerges and then they take the action. They're not mentally thinking about it. There's a feeling of impulse within them and they wait until that impulse is there and then they go. They don't worry about the mind's um, story time about when that should be happening. So can you find that? That is something that I really want to highlight and put a lot of spotlight on is knowing that. Now, the thing that's going to be shooting on you too and making this feel extra hard to sit still and be that cheetah chilling out is the fact that you might have beanbags on the subject. And that is going to drain you the most is the emotional beanbags. If you guys have heard me use the word enough on the show in the past, you'll know what I'm talking about. These are emotional feelings and urges that usually don't feel very good. The beanbags are usually something of stress, worry, anxiety, that kind of on the spectrum of emotion, the stuff that doesn't feel so comfortable or good. Those beanbags can make the stillness feel very uncomfortable because they're extra weight on your metaphorical or emotional shoulders that you're holding on to. And the mind just wants to take action so that it can seem to kind of like scratch the itch or somewhat put some level of that disturbing emotion to the wayside. It thinks that at least by booking the flight, there'll be a little bit less stress somehow basically. But that doesn't mean that's actually alignment. That just means you're trying to avoid the stress. And what you can actually do instead of that is actually release the emotion itself. So then you can be still and actually in clarity. So that when the actual aligned action happens, which isn't coming from stress at all, it's coming from alignment and joy and problem uh, being at the level of a solution rather than problem, then you're going to have that friendly unknown outcome, the aligned outcome that is aligning to the highest and best potential for you at the time. If you do it from a beanbag, you're going to match a 
level of a problem. The beanbag feels like the situation is a problem. And so it may want to take action from the fact that it feels emotionally like it has a problem. And then it will manifest an outcome that might match the problem feeling. So releasing those emotions is very important. I was talking with Ella today about this and she was saying, you know, I I know that like beanbags are important, but I don't like to do them, she admitted. Now, I've done many beanbags with Ella because she's done some one-on-one sessions with me over the years. So uh, along with working for Team Lively, she's definitely worked in the work itself. You know, she's done the actual beanbag releasing, inner voicing, all the rest. So I said, you know, well, what's stopping you? And I said, well, do you know the difference is, and I just want to emphasize this, this is the reason that I held off for years from doing beanbag release teaching on the show. Even though people would say, please do an episode about it for years, they'd ask, and I would not because I knew that it, by talking about beanbag releasing, it is not the same as actually doing it. And I know that the mind loves saying the word beanbag release, I should beanbag release, or I have a beanbag, but actually getting it out how can I make an analogy? Okay, so like saying you have a bullet in your chest and saying I should get that bullet out is like what people say when they say beanbag. I should get that beanbag out. I have a beanbag, but they're not getting the bean the bullet out. And what you really need, it doesn't matter. Saying you should do it or that you have one all day long is pointless if you're not willing to take it out. And so I knew that by talking about it, people would mentally feel like they had the concept figured out. But if they didn't actually do the thing itself, they weren't getting anywhere. The bullet would still be in their shoulder or their chest or wherever they had it. So that's why for the longest time, I just had the beanbag sessions that IVFT graduates worked with people and did so that they could learn how to do it in person. Kind of like my other analogy used to be surfing. Doing a podcast about surfing does not actually teach you anything about how to surf in the water. You have to be in the water with a surf instructor on a surfboard in the water to actually learn how to surf. Talking about it in a podcast gives your mind the perceptual gratification as though it's done it, but it hasn't done anything. It's just thought about doing something. And beanbag releasing is a truly physical experience of energy movement through and then out of your system. And so if I talk about it, it is not the same as actually doing it. And Ella was saying, you know, even though she's done the beanbag releasing with me, even though she knows exactly how to do it, even though she knows exactly how to surf, she doesn't surf. She just says in her mind, I know I should surf today, but she doesn't. And so I just want to say there are many places you can now find how to beanbag release. But the point of it will be if it's hard to be still when your inner voice is saying to be still, odds are there's a beanbag emotion that is making you feel uncomfortable with the stillness. And that is what you should be looking at in the meantime of actually taking the action is not taking action yet, but is releasing the emotions that make you feel like you should be taking action when your inner voice isn't guiding you to it. Or even worse is if you feel so blocked up with beanbags that you can't even hear your inner voice or have that clarity of whether you should be taking action or not, odds are there's confusion beanbags and stress beanbags and lack of clarity, blocky feeling beanbags. So please, please, please remember there are so many ways and avenues now for beanbag releasing to be accessed. You can do it yourself if you want to, or you can work with a buddy, especially IVFT grads do this all the time with their fellow IVFT graduate buddies. And you can actually work with an IVFT graduate if you want by going over to bellalively.com slash find a facilitator. I highly recommend if you haven't ever worked with someone before and you're just listening to this now, 
I highly recommend working with someone directly one-on-one, kind of like taking a lesson with a surf instructor. Now, if you've already IVFT or you've done them before, then it's a matter of actually sitting down to do it yourself or maybe making a friend with someone else who also has been trained how to do it. And so you guys can do it together and hold space together if that helps you do it more. But I will say the biggest transformation of the community, the people that I've worked with over the years are the people that spend the most minutes total beanbagging, actually doing it. That Those people, whether they're doing it with buddies or whether they're doing it on their own like I do on my own. Um, Either way, (laughs) moving through those things are the biggest levels of transformation because then you can get the most access to the clarity and insight and wisdom of your inner voice and also have the least um, problem or hard time actually following through. So can you be still and okay with that? And as released of emotions that feel like you shouldn't be still or that it's not okay to be still until the right action happens. Now, like I mentioned, I have some questions from people that were asked and I wanted to actually address one by Bex who said she's been feeling uninspired and procrastinating and lazy around starting a new project. Not sure if this relates or it feels like... um, the fear of starting something unknown. So hiding under the duvet with a book or binge watching Gilmore Girls. So what she's saying, and I think this kind of goes to, can you be still? Or basically her question is, if I'm feeling uninspired and procrastinating on a new project, what should I be doing? What What's this coming from? And I would say it's very interesting. It doesn't feel like it's the organic aligned action to be taking yet because there's a lazy procrastinating feeling. Now, if she looks at that feeling, maybe she feels guilty for feeling lazy or guilty for procrastinating, or she feels just the feeling of you know, being uninspired, you can actually beanbag that feeling and then get to clarity. So I would actually look at all of those feelings that might be coming up around uninspired, procrastinating, or lazy, find those feelings in the body and release them. And then any guilt or judgment about your your mind judging the guilty or lazy feelings for having these feelings and then find your inner voice's answer back. So the question or the answer I would give to this is first release all the emotions that you just mentioned and then any emotions that go along with it, like judgment or guilt about having them. And then inner voice and find out inner voice, do you even want to do this project? And if you do get a yes to doing the project, do you want to do it now? If so, yes. If no, why not now? You know, like there could be the aligned time might not be the right time yet for whatever the project might be. Or it could just be something that your mind is making up that it quote unquote should do, but your inner voice isn't even actually aligning to. But odds are, generally speaking, that the idea of going under the duvet and binge watching the Gilmore Girls aren't necessarily bad things. It's just about finding out what's underneath that, uh, those emotions that you're feeling. Is the clarity to actually taking action or not? Because you'll be wasting your time ultimately doing the actions if they're not actually inspired and aligned to the inner voice. So don't worry about the project. Worry about the emotions about the project that are feeling like you don't want to take the action and then find the clarity from the inner voice's perspective about it. And you're already infinitely further ahead than taking all the action in the world on something that your mind thinks you should do that isn't actually in alignment with your inner voice. So when it comes to that, I'll give you a great example to Bex. Yesterday, I felt, now I, like I said, in the first two hours of landing in Lisbon, I booked a lot of things. But what I didn't actually book was the flight from, I didn't book the flight from New York to Jacksonville. And I didn't know where I was going to stay in New York yet. So when I first got here three or four or five days ago, whatever it was, I didn't book the stuff that was going to happen in New York. I just bought the flight 
to the U.S. and out of the U.S., but I didn't do anything in the middle in between those dates. And so I knew that I'd have to be, to tomorrow I'm actually flying. So yesterday was the day before the day before I was going to fly to New York, and I didn't even know I was going to stay yet. I did do a little call out on Instagram. Thank you for everyone's recommendations of hotels to stay at in New York. I haven't been in a while, so I wasn't really even sure what to be looking for, what was a cool place to stay that wasn't going to cost billions of dollars. And so I got a lot of great recommendations. And then, yeah, I needed to buy the flight to go to Jacksonville. So yesterday I was thinking in my head, my head started to do a little shooting. Well, you're leaving in 48 hours. You probably should know where you're going to stay. Probably need to book a hotel. May not be getting cheaper the later you push this off. But I felt emotionally low yesterday. I don't know what it was. I, I'm i on my period, so that could be connected to it. I might have been a little hormonal or whatever. But either way, I had some beanbags and I just was at the moment not feeling inspired whatsoever to taking any action. And I could tell my inner voice wasn't asking me to take action in that emotional state. It was just asking me to be still and be gentle with myself. So I stayed in bed and I went to bed early and I got up early and I did a Pilates class in the morning and I felt better today than I did yesterday. And I didn't take any action, even though my shooting mind was kind of like, hmm, hmm, hmm got to sort that out. So this morning, even though my mind shoulded on me yesterday, I didn't take the action. And remember that, guys, when you have the shoulding in your mind, you don't have to do what it says you should do. You can just have the shoulding without actually activating it or doing what it says. So that's what I did. And of course, my mind thinks, well, that's not going to be saving you any money or that's not a very wise choice. But I knew that it was stupider to follow my mind's thoughts than it was to trust my intuition. And then knowing this, that I knew there was no reason to worry. I didn't need to do it until I felt actually aligned. The feelingness of taking the action, the cheetah didn't want to move yet. So my mind didn't actually take you know the action it was thinking about. It just had the thoughts and I had the emotions and the beanbags, but then I just released them. I just took it easy and I just didn't push it. So this morning when I felt better, I decided and felt the aligned action, got into alignment, did my little alignment time. And then I popped over, looked at all of your amazing recommendations, checked out Hotels Tonight, which was one of the recommendations from Jess and some people in the comments, checked out some of the other names you guys gave me, and then ended up flowing into a hotel at an amazing rate. I'm so excited about It's called the Evelyn Hotel. I'll be there for the few days of the weekend, and then I'll be going over to Jacksonville. Although now I'm even contemplating whether I go see my friend Jess. So maybe I kind of wiggle some stuff around and let's see, I'll either go straight to Jacksonville or I'll go to Detroit and Jacksonville, maybe both. Let's, let's find out. I haven't fully decided if I want to edit some of the plans or not, but I took the action when there was actual alignment, actual knowingness, no more shooting on myself. It actually felt inside of me intuitively like the right time. So this is the big thing I want to say for week three is who is controlling your reality? Who is it? Is it your mid-soul mind or is it the inner voice, old soul perspective? So if I was to book it yesterday while feeling bad and having beanbags, but my mind shooting on me, that would have been the efforted way. But today is when I did it, when I felt the natural alignment in the old soul. Um, felt like, yeah, time to get the hotels. And had probably very little, if any, price difference whatsoever between booking yesterday and today, even though my mind might not have thought that to be the case at the rates that I got them. And maybe, who knows, if it was even cheaper, it could have been, who knows. Um, because I waited till a later time than the earlier time. But either way, I got it. It's all working out. It's all working out. So remember, 
release those emotions because also, let me also reference to this too on these emotions. Oftentimes they are just non-physical sensations that don't feel very pleasant to have. But over time, those issues in your emotions can become lodged into the physical tissues. There's issues in the tissues. So just keep that in mind. I don't get hyper stressed about it, but just keep in mind that those emotions, if they're lodged long enough in the mental emotional body can start to impact and impede into the physical body as well and present as chronic issues. So keep that in mind. This actually reminds me of something that we have again, another question submitted by someone on Instagram, which was Hannah. So Hannah had a great question. She says, do you have any tips on how to actually start feeling like you can trust? your inner voice. I know from my inner voice that I can theoretically, but I feel very far away from the feeling of trust and that I'm supported and held without making a loads of actions to support me totally on the mid-soul threshold. Am I in the mid-old soul? So she's kind of straddling the mid-soul and the old soul threshold and my body has started having crazy reactions to the mid-soul way, the mental way. Like this crazy rash that has broken out all over my eyes and my inner voice said it's because you can't see the way anymore. But it's also said I'm not supposed to see the way. I'm in a time of huge tension between old vibrations and fears and yet feeling like the old way of life makes me literally ill. Any advice on starting to embody the trust would be hugely appreciated. Okay, Hannah, I feel so much compassion. It is not fun when you start to have these issues in the tissues and... Yeah, I would ask your inner voice. So Hannah is, by the way, an IVFT beta graduate. So she is very good at getting to inner voice. I've worked with her for many years and I know how amazingly connected and how wonderfully clear her inner voice specifically is. But at the same time, I totally have so much compassion and understanding that how, how her mind's feeling on the subject. So Hannah's a real dichotomy here, just being superhuman. And she is at the same time, super connected to this wise eternal part of herself. So the eyes, yeah, so it's interesting that it's starting to show up to really help her transition out of the old way of doing things, the midsole mental approach to things into the new evolved old soul way of doing things. And that it's because you can't see the way anymore and it's not supposed to see the way. It is literally going to come down to trust, Hannah. It's literally going to come down to trust. But then the, it is a great age-old question, but how do you feel the feeling of trust when you don't feel the feeling of trust? Okay, Hannah, I know you're very good at beanbagging too. So if anyone else is feeling this applies to them too, feel free to apply what I'm going to say to Hannah. But I actually know Hannah and I actually am feeling into what I'd suggest for Hannah. I would try to beanbag all the feelings that don't trust the inner voice. I try to find where is the feeling of I can't trust my inner voice. Where is that feeling? So the fact that the I remember one inner voice ages ago said, trust is always there. It's just sometimes hidden by these beanbags, as I call them. And so you can't see it. And the way my when the person's inner voice said this, my inner voice showed me a metaphor of a table. The table's always there. But if there's enough junk on top of the table, you would almost think that there is no table there because of all the stuff on top. The clutter on top of the table might be so overwhelming, you can't even see the table is there 
Yet it is. It's the backbone. It's the foundation. It's the support of the stuff on top of the table. The stuff on top of the table couldn't even be on the table if there wasn't a table it was on top of. And so what my inner voice said was that that's the trust. The trust is actually foundational. It just might be underneath, lodged and seemingly hidden by the other emotions presenting on top of it, cluttering the experience. And so Hannah might have some feelings of not trusting, scared, trepidation, all the et cetera, et cetera, all those types of beanbags that might be on top of the trust that's otherwise there. So I would say, Hannah, and I know you're very good at this, so please try with yourself or with one of the facilitators that you're friends with as well, have a session by yourself or with someone else and go through all of the feelings that don't feel like trust and trusting into whatever this I rash reaction is having and coming from, find all of those beanbags. I would spend a good, give yourself a half hour, an hour, as much, much as it takes. It might only take a few minutes, but there might be multiple of different types of beanbags in different places in the body, different emotional frequencies to release, but give yourself some real time to actually go through all of the feelings in the body that don't feel like they can trust to the point where you're at least neutral. (laughs) You might not feel trust per se, but at least you don't feel all this fear and trepidation around it. Please try to do that and then see where your inner voice clarity comes from from there. You're already still able right now. So by the way, so for Hannah's example right now, she is able and clear enough to get to her inner voice at the same time she still has stuff on the table. So parts of her table are clear essentially. Parts of her can still hear the clarity of her under, you know, on other parts of the table or underneath the stuff, but she's still got the other emotions. So please send some time with somebody, Hannah, or just with yourself and release all of that other stuff just to get to the place of neutral. At least let's not fight Darth Vader. At least let's be neutral to him. We don't have to be his best friend, but can we be at least okay that he's in the room? (laughs) Can we be okay that the unknown is present and that it may not have to fight us? Can we at least get to there? We don't have to love him. We don't have to be his best friend. We don't have to go on a walk in the park, but can we at least get to the point where we're not scared or fighting Darth Vader, the unknown? about whatever your situation actually is uh, that's coming around to this eye rash. And then see, I can also very clearly also have tons of compassion for this issues in the tissues thing. Um, The story that I wanted to share that my actual human form has also dealt with something very similar. Um, It was around the visa situation. So as I was in the stress of getting the flat, which I want to do a flow diaries after the series is done. So once the friendly unknown is complete, I will do a flow diaries explaining how I flowed almost completely effortlessly or unintentionally into getting this flat that I have in London before I had the actual visa process further than I thought it was. I thought it was already much further along than it actually ended up becoming. And so as I got the flat, then waiting for what I thought would be a week or two before the visa was at the stage it's at now, I ended up waiting from October 20th until January to find that whole process actually took the form that I thought would take a few weeks. But in those weeks, I had a point where they asked me for papers back and forth, papers back and forth. So sending them with the office and then they asked me for audited accounts. Now, audited accounts in America is like a big thing if you get audited by the IRS or something. And audited, you can always have audited accounts without even the IRS or anything. You can have your actual accountants do audited accounts, but it's a different, more intense process than it is if you just do your normal accounts every year 
as an S corporation, small business owners would know what I'm talking about for the most part. But the, the UK asked me for the audited accounts. But in the actual applications, one page of the application says you need audited accounts, which is just a full, you know, formalized audited by your accountant thing, not the IRS, but just your um, accountant doing this more formal thing that could take weeks or months to get done. And then another page said you didn't have to have audited accounts. You could have audited or unaudited. And they asked me for the audited accounts. And we wrote back and said, you know, as a small corporation at the size that we're at, we don't actually, we're not in the US required to have audited accounts. And so we don't have them audited as such, but here's the actual accounts as they are. And here's the page that says that on the UK website that says you don't have to have them audited for this visa. <laughs> so we sent that back. And I was nervous because this is the first time I didn't actually have the thing they requested, everything else we had. So we just sent them over the things. But this one was kind of a weird technicality that might have been necessary or might have not been necessary. And they only gave us a week to reply. And so as that week reply window got closer to the seven day mark, I got more and more in my mind worried that because I didn't have already audited accounts, which would have taken, like I said, weeks or months to actually have my accountants do it the way that they might need to if we did have to get that done, I wouldn't have had the seven days time frame at all to get this completed. So I was like, what's going to happen? I mean, <laughs> my lawyer is like, this is kind of strange because they've never had anyone else be asked for the audited accounts. So it was just a weird thing that happened. And as the seven days hit, I was terrified that they were going to reject it again. And I was going to have to wait another six to eight weeks to apply again. And after the months of, you know, getting audited accounts and then go through this whole process yet again, I was afraid that was going to have to happen or they would just reject it because I didn't have what they asked for, even though one of the pages said I didn't. I got so stressed out. I was probably reliving the beanbags I had from the visa situation in Australia years ago where I did have to leave and I had a flat and I had decorated it and then I had to go. Anyways, I probably was reliving all of those fears and emotional beanbags as I was waiting for the seven-day clock to tick to see what was going to happen. And then what ended up happening was even in a way mentally scarier because then nothing happened. They didn't reject it. They didn't get back to me. I just waited for two months to hear back and got nothing, got crickets, literally nothing until January 4th. So as those initial first few weeks happened after that seven-day window. I was a basket case. I was beanbagging constantly all the feelings that felt like Australia because I had a feeling that's where this originated from. It wasn't specifically this because nothing bad actually happened. I had no reason if I hadn't had Australia as my experience before to actually be as stressed as I was feeling. I was feeling hyper-stressed, like Hannah's level of rash, although the way my body put the issue into the tissue it was coming out as um, something in my back. So while I was doing Pilates one-on-one -on -one with my instructor, we realized that my back was being kind of a three or four out of 10. It was like a little bit acting out. So we were working on this one spot. And as we were working on it in the class at this exact window, when I was exactly stressed about all of this stuff with the visa, I pulled my muscle and this three to four discomfort level out of 10 turned immediately into eight out of 10. And I was completely kind of, I guess the maybe the right word is to say through your back out. I threw my back out. I was in incredible pain working on this specific area in my back. It was on my lower to mid back on the right side, which to me 
kind of tracks to where an emotion would be hidden or, or lodged for my body. It's around that like base of the spine near your, your sense of structure and support and home would be located the first chakra and the right side, public facing or masculine, um, which this was more about, not that it was masculine per se as like males, but just public facing and structurals so definitely felt more like the outside world rather than my inner world or feminine energy being blocked. So as I threw my back out, I was like, I need to see someone. Who can I go to to fix this? And my instructor said there was someone to go to in London. She had heard amazing things from her other clients about. So I went to this person in London and as he was working on my back, I did two sessions with him. And I think it was in the first one, he was an osteopath, but I would of magician level osteopath. He's like me and what I do with IVFT, he does with the bodies. He is literally a magician. It is magical what he's able to do. And even though it was incredibly painful as he is pulling on my muscles and my spine and I am like biting my hand, I was like, you're like Dexter. You like actually enjoy this at the same time that you're you're like making me in such pain, but he goes, this is, you know, your muscles wrapped around your spine. It needs to be untwisted. It was twisted and I needed to untwist it. And so it felt incredibly painful. And if you actually saw anyone going through this, you'd think this guy's going to like screw someone up permanently. And he told me afterwards, he goes, you're going to feel me there. Like I've been still pulling on it for two more days and then it's going to go away. And it actually happened. But the point I wanted to mention about this, this is my version of Hannah's rash on her eyes, is that as he's pulling and as I'm like biting my hand in pain, as he's untwisting this muscle or whatever was happening, I don't even know if I could tell you exactly. He said one sentence and it echoed in my brain after that. This is emotional. Now I am in physical pain. I can't even touch anywhere close to even my knees were touching and bending over just to touch my knees was painful at this point. I was an eight out of 10 on a physical level of pain. But even as he's doing that, he said, this is emotional. And I knew it was, I was like, oh my God, this is all coming up exactly at the time that I have all this emotion up about the situation. It's so clear as day that this is what this physically is. And even working on it or the fact that we were even focusing on that area at that time was because this all connected to the emotions in that area of my body that were lodged in the physical tissues. Thankfully, I can say that after that, I actually felt a lot better. The two sessions were very expensive, but really did the trick. And that three to four out of 10 discomfort I was chronically feeling turned to a one to zero level. So actually going all the way up to an eight on the pain scale, took it down as he fixed it to the physical side of it to the one scale. So my feeling is that all those beanbags over the stress of Australia and as it was presenting into what felt like an echo chamber in the UK in this current scenario was actually coming up to resolve the old issues that were still previously lodged in those parts of my body. And then we're actually triggered by the stress of the current situation and manifesting ultimately something that matched it. But thankfully, because I was able to have enough awareness and then support physically with this person helping me to release it. And then after that, magically, I don't even know how to say other than I beanbag the crap out of it. Then he worked on my back like crazy. And those two sessions after that, I stopped fearing what was going to happen over the weeks to come in the next two months of silence and crickets with the visa. I was just like, well, 
let's just see. So Hannah, to the point of, you know, how do I have trust? I just started to trust after that. Once I got rid of all the stuff on the table and the issues that were lodged in the tissues at that point from the previous experience, I just had trust or not even trust. I just got to that point where I was like, well, Darth Vader's in the room and I'm not scared. (laughs) Something's going to happen and it's going to be okay. I was maybe not at the point of joy or excitement or optimism, but I also was at this place of like, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be at least neutral to whatever happens and I'll get through it. And that was that clarity that the table was clear. It wasn't even at positive, but it at least was at neutral. And I'd say the same for Hannah. If you can get to that in some way or another, that's a good place to be. Now, when it comes to befriending and actually getting to a more positive place and actually looking at Darth Vader as a cutie pie and actually being friends with him. I have two questions that were also submitted. One is from Natalia who said, "Um, would you say that befriending the known is a requirement prior to befriending the unknown? And I think that is such an amazing question, Natalia. Natalia has done a lot of our work with us too. So that is a very amazing and insightful question to ask Natalia. I'm not surprised because you're so clear on so many things. It's an amazing point to have, which I wouldn't have even thought to honestly bring up with you guys. But thanks to Natalia, we're talking about it. Befriending the known. And that's something that even in my previous situation I just shared with all that situation about the flat and going, oh my God, am I gonna have to leave this? Am I gonna have to leave this? I ended up going, well, I'm really happy I'm here right now. Can I befriend the fact that I'm in the flat? Can I befriend the fact that after being in a hotel and in Airbnbs for so long that I'm no longer in them? And can I befriend the fact that I love this flat and that it's so cute and that it's so quiet and that it's so tranquil and that it's in this perfect location? Can I befriend the fact that I love it so much? Can I befriend the fact that I do know right now where I'm staying. Instead of worrying about whether I'll have to leave it in the future, can I befriend what is happening right now in my life that I really love? That, or even befriend, I guess the the other edgier one would be, can I befriend the fact that I don't know yet with the visa? So that was a amazing insight from Natalia that even let's go back to Hannah, whatever her presenting issue is or whatever your presenting issue is, can you befriend what you do know about the situation and at least be neutral or borderline optimistic about what might happen in the unknown that might lead to something even nicer or better into the future? Something to keep in mind for sure and something that ultimately was something I recognized for myself is that, well, I was certainly happy I was in the flat versus being in a hotel after all of that time that I was in the hotel. So at least it was like, can I even enjoy the fact that I was there? And in Australia, I'm so happy that I did the six months there. I never would have stayed for six months and decorated a place for six months if I knew I'd only be there for six months. But Every day that I was there, I loved and enjoyed it. And now that I look back on it, I'm still so glad that I did it, even though if I knew ahead of time, I wouldn't have chosen to do it. So I'm so happy that at that time I was friending that known because that known actually was even looking back on it when it didn't end up staying or working out in the long run, something I still cherish so, so, so much. And that's something I think too, when we think back to like relationships we've had when we were younger, if it maybe didn't work out in the long run, with enough time, space, and perspective, there's often this feeling of like, I'm, you know, maybe I can see why it wasn't going to go the long run, the long haul, but I'm so glad that that happened. I'm so glad that relationship occurred. I'm so glad I got to know that person or had a lot of experiences with them. And so it's kind of nice sometimes that we can 
not know the future so that we can befriend the known as we're living it. And then ultimately, even when the unknown that we might not have wanted to happen happens, we can look back and go, God, I'm glad I I lived it the way that I did not knowing the future. Can we make friends with what we do know right now? We also have Saria who said on relationships, on the subject of relationships, like I just mentioned, she struggles with the unknown of whether I will ever find a partner. Okay, Saria, I can relate so much to the six years I had beanbags on this subject too. So I know that it's easier said than actually felt or done um, when you have a lot of beanbags on that kind of subject. But it is just to Natalia's question, can you befriend as much as possible? And if not, befriend the fact that you're alone right now. What's stopping you from loving your time with yourself right now. And part of it might be around not having companionship or someone to talk to. And in that case, I would definitely encourage you to find companions and lovers that are like my friend Jess, for example. We're not sexual lovers, but we love each other so much. And finding companionship in some form or fashion with someone that's a similar age or different age, sex that's the different, same or non-binary, doesn't really matter. But can you find a non-romantic companion or friends and support network so that you don't have to feel like a romantic partner is the only type of partner that you can have in this known now. Or maybe you do have those people in your life. And if you're feeling sexually like you want a different type of experience, can you also spice up your own sex life with yourself right now so that even that type of dimension doesn't have to be completely void of the joy that you might want to have? Can you find ways in your current now without a partner to, as Natalia said, friend the known that is now. Can you make this the best situation that this now can actually be? It is A, an amazing experience, and it also be another way to manifest at a higher frequency that might actually match the non-thirstiness for having the partner that might actually bring it in. But ultimately, I too just ended a relationship, but I know that I take the risk of never maybe finding a partner. Maybe I don't. But I haven't now known that I friend enough. And even though yesterday, you know, it might have been nicer to have a partner when I was feeling low than not, it's okay. I still had other people in my life to talk to. And I got through that day. It was just a night. I beanbagged. I had my inner voice the whole time. And I ultimately had myself no matter what. So there's a lot of beanbags I found, Saria, when I think about that experience for myself for those six years versus now and why I'm so much calmer and better on my own than I previously used to be. And I can only equate it to some of it was less past lives that had to do with loss and feeling the loss of love. Um, not having those past lives now is really nice because they're not draining me as much as they used to be weighing on me without me consciously knowing. And then also just the beanbags in general of the time alone. I just basically, because those things are no longer there, the trust and also the love of my inner voice aspect of myself to my mind and to myself is just so much stronger and so much more present because the table's so much clearer. So if there's a lot of frustration in desperation, even feeling, please, please find a buddy in the community to beanbag with, find a facilitator to help you beanbag and know how to actually do this if you haven't done it before. Please invest in yourself so that you know how to clear the table because without clearing the table, you're going to ultimately match a partner or situation that either is singlehood or a not great aligned partner potentially because you're feeling so desperate and cluttered. And so the things that can match in the unknown end up matching to the beanbag experiences you're having versus the non-beanbagged experiences. So please, please, lots of compassion there, but 
I just want to say, ultimately, releasing those emotions is so essential and not just thinking about it, as Ella pointed out, but actually doing it and not just talking about the emotions, but actually moving the energy. It's not talking about how dirty your shoes are. It's actually cleaning the shoes. Okay, so last but not least for today's episode, I wanted to talk about, and this is my little exercise for you to try now or in the future when you want to find more friendliness with the unknown, is to get off the duality pendulum. Okay, so the duality pendulum is something that we talked about in Empowered Class, which the Evergreen's available if you want to go listen to that. That was around getting over your victim-victimizer stories um, in your mind. But one of the other dualities the mind likes to do, I notice, is assess what the right or wrong outcomes might be in the shooting on the unknown. So for my example with the flat, it'd be like I the right outcome is that I get the visa, the wrong outcome is that I don't get the visa and I have to leave and I have to leave the flat behind. That's an example of a duality that my mind was playing very actively. Is it going to work out or am I going to have to leave? Duality. Am I going to have to leave the flat or am I going to get to stay in it? Duality. But please remember, there are so many more potentials than what the mind can imagine in a situation you might be facing. Is my dad going to live or is my dad going to die? Right? That's the duality that I was previously looking at. But the truth was, there's living right away and being fully back to full functioning. There's dying right away. And then there's a million in-betweens. Like you can live for a little while and then die. You can live a really long time and then die. There's a million different potentials besides just, is he going to live or die? that is actually there or if you're going to how you're going to have money for rent or whatever the thing might be for you there's so many more potentials than is this book going to become a bestseller or is it going to be a flop you know what i mean any of those kinds of things just think of whatever you're experiencing and see if you can identify a pendulum a duality of this or kind of that is the way where your mind might be approaching something but please remember there are millions of potentials that can happen in between the dualities that have nothing to do with those dualities your mind might be fixated on in general. So when it comes to this, the way I have found best to help myself break the duality pendulum, which is an attachment, you know, so this is kind of going to old soul stuff. You'll hear Eckhart or Michael Singer talk about, they'll talk about Buddhism, you name it, non-attachment. You're attaching to the duality pendulum, essentially. We need to cut the cord of the pendulum so you're free of this swinging back and forth between this or that. You've got the money. You don't get the raise. You get the partner. You are single forever. There's a million even that as an example, Surya, to the pendulum of relationship. Like you could be in a relationship for the next six months and then be single and then get in a relationship and then be single or be with someone forever or be alone forever or go through a series of different length relationships. There's so many different ways that these potentials can be unfolding. And we look at them yet as like, I'm going to find the next partner I'm going to be with forever until I die, or I'll always be single until I die. Odds are you're not going to be fully single forever. And we just don't know what length of time one or many new relationships might unfold. <laughs> so so let's look at the duality pendulum. I remember this and I want to credit a friend of mine, Ezzy. You guys might remember Ezzy from the show years and years ago. She wrote the books on the moon. And Ezzy, when I was in New York after a property falling through in Detroit, I was telling her the whole story in New York, actually. I believe we were in New York. And she was like, well, what else could you have done? I was telling the whole story in vivid detail <laughs> about what happened and why I needed to leave the deal at the end in the last minute. And she's like, but what else could have happened? 
and she broke my brain as she said that. What else could have happened? I said, no, this is what happened. This is the only thing that could have happened. I was so attached to the duality pendulum that it was either the deal was going to go this way or it was going to not go this way. And she goes, well, what else could have happened? And I couldn't even compute what she was saying. I couldn't understand her. But it truly, once I did break through and I did understand her, it changed my life. And it's exactly what I've now done so many times with myself. And I'm going to give you an exercise I've made up based on her sentence of what else could you have done? I now have an exercise to help you do the same. But her point was, there's a many th different things that could have happened in that deal. I didn't have to say no to the deal. They could have behaved in different ways and I could have reacted in different ways. But in my head, I was so stuck on this is the way it was and this is what had to happen that I couldn't even see that. And so that's what I wanna help you also break because this is one of the reasons we fight the unknown and we make Darth Vader the bad guy. So can you think of at least 20 random potential storylines or outcomes that could happen. And I do not care how wild, inaccurate, or in unlikely they might actually be. I don't care how random they are. I just want your mind to start breaking down off of this pendulum of it's either A or B and realize that there could be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. I want you to get that far down the number of things that could happen in terms of the situation because your mind will usually look for this is the right outcome and the other outcome is the worst outcome. I'll either find the love of my life tomorrow and be with them or her forever or I'll never be in a relationship ever again. And I'm gonna die alone and sad every single day of my life. That's the worst case. So it wants to do that, but let's look at an example. And I mean this, and I, as I say this, I really want you to think 20 random potential storylines. They don't have to be what happens. They don't ever have to happen. They don't even have to be wildly possible in any real world sense of the things. I just want your mind to stop being so attached and how do we get less attached to the two outcomes it's obsessed with? We start to think of other things and it starts to soften the mind's obsession with two different things. Okay, so for example, let's use my visa and my issues in my tissues with my back because that was obviously so stressful for me at that time that it literally was affecting my whole physical form. Okay, so if my visa didn't work out, and I had to leave the flat, what could have happened? Okay, so these are the 20. And I, it took me a while to actually write these all down. I'm going to read them out to you. It took me a while to think of these. Some of the first ones were easy. And then it, I had to get really creative because 20 examples is actually a lot. Even if you just do 10 or 12 examples, your mind will feel a lot softer on the attachment to things, I have a feeling. So check it out. It doesn't mean that I still don't want the visa to work out, and it actually did, and that's what I actually wanted, but I had to find a way to get off of the pendulum of it has to work out or my life is ruined, basically, is how I was kind of acting, and your mind might be doing something similar for your situation. So if the visa didn't work out, I could have decorated the flat and sold the furniture to the landlord for an Airbnb rental. Okay, that could have happened. Or I could have decorated the flat and sold the furniture to the next renter who was going to rent it instead of me. So, because part of my mind was saying that I shouldn't have this flat and spend all this money on all the furniture that I'm getting for it if I'm not going to stay there, right? So if I did do all of that, what could have happened? Well, I could have sold it to the landlord for an Airbnb rental. They could have loved it and said, thank you. Or I could have decorated it and sold the furniture to the next renter who's going to rent the flat and say, thank you for decorating it. I love it. That could have happened. Doesn't mean it would have happened. Just saying it's a potential. It's just an option in the millions of options that this reality could collapse the way 
function into quantum mechanics wise, those things could have happened. Doesn't mean it was likely, doesn't mean it necessarily would. It's just something else other than I leave in disgust and dismay and I've spent all this money and it all goes to waste. (laughs) I don't even know what my mind was thinking of the worst case, but it could have been bought by the renter or the landlord. Or I could have gotten the visa as an interior designer instead of the visa that I was originally going for. Maybe I switched and decided to do a different career change. Maybe my interior design joy came back to me with such a fervor that I end up switching over and going to a student visa and I study interior design and then I'd become an interior designer after that that could have happened. I could have gotten the flat photographed and put into a magazine and then become wildly famous. That could have happened. I could have gotten into the magazine. Let's say, let's go on this. I went on this tangent for a while. I could have decorated the flat the way I designed it and dreamed to be. And then the love of my life could have seen my designed house and that he might live in Australia. So he was just reading it in the magazine. And then he ends up reaching out to me on Instagram and I end up living to Australia after all. Maybe that could have happened. And if that kind of scenario happened where I decorate a beautiful flat in London, which was a dream of mine, and then the love of my life, which would also be a great dream of mine, ends up being in Australia, pretty good, and I end up moving to Australia after all, I could see a scenario like that playing out and I could end up saying, thank you, Visa, for not working out. That would be really a pretty cool potential. Doesn't mean it would happen, will happen, or should happen. It just means it could happen. What else? Australia could open up a new visa pathway that leads me back there and end up with an Aussie partner in a different way. Maybe that could happen. Or maybe the prime minister of the United Kingdom could have granted me a way to stay anyways. They could have granted me a pardon and that could be the Bella Lively visa. And I just get to stay because I'm a pretty cool person. Again, wild, very unlikely, but possible. It is a potential. It is a possibility. doesn't mean it's likely. It just means it's something that could happen. The fact that I thought of it means it could theoretically possibly happen. Next up, I could have met the love of my life on my travels after I left the UK and ended up marrying him and coming back on a partner visa because he's actually British, but we met on the airport in Portugal or Bali or something else. And then I end up moving into his amazing house in the countryside instead of the flat that I've been living in. That could happen. And I'd again say, thank you for the visa not working out because then I ended up being in this random airport where I met my UK partner and I ended up there anyways. Or I could leave the United Kingdom, win the lottery in the United States because I'm there and I just buy a lottery ticket by random chance. And then by winning all of this money in the United States, I'm now mega loaded and I come back to buy the flat of my dreams in London and pay for an investor visa instead. Again, not likely, but it could happen. Or I could win the lottery. That was a fun little thing to think about. And then just roam around abundantly living in many villas everywhere in the world for as long as I wanted to. And then I could later choose to be in the UK if I wanted to, or maybe I wouldn't at all. I could also go back to that whole magazine idea and then get hired to do various amazing home projects for clients and hotels worldwide. And I'm just designing to my heart's content all over the place. And it's still coming back to London, but I wouldn't have gotten the visa and I might not have stayed in this specific flat. Or I could have gotten hired on a sponsor visa as an interior designer by a contractor in the United Kingdom that needs someone to design their projects. So maybe I just, again, get a sponsor visa as an interior designer instead of the one I was going for. And I still get to stay in the flat 
even though I didn't get the original visa I was going for. Or now it gets fun. Now you can see I'm like, now I'm actually at a vibrating, higher, looser place, right? I'm not so serious. I'm not so literal. I'm just now just like cherry picking really fun, cool things. But now I'm just being playful and imaginative and fantasy led. So another thing that could happen, Oprah could find my show, could find the podcast, hire me to go on a world tour for over a year with her inspiring people worldwide. That'd be pretty cool. Never could have imagined that if I was trying to get this visa and stay in this flat. That'd be pretty cool. So I'd be on the road, but I wouldn't have gotten the visa, but I'd be with Oprah inspiring people worldwide. Or Oprah could have gifted me some of her homes in Maui in California to stay in when she finds out about my situation. And then I just wait for a different visa to work out and I come back to the UK later. That'd be pretty cool. Or while I'm at Oprah's house, I could write a best-selling book that becomes the stepping stone to a new century, uh, that becomes the stepping stone and becomes the new book for everyone to read in this new century after Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. What if that's it? What if I just end up writing in Oprah's house while I'm chilling, just write a best-selling book that helps everyone go as the next book after Eckhart's amazing books? What if that's happening? Or what if Oprah hires me to work for Harpo Network, her network, and I end up opening a new operation in the UK, again, on a different visa? So maybe this visa doesn't work out, but Oprah's Harpo Network gets me over there on a business expansion visa, and I do it for Harpo instead. Or I could couch surf on different people's sofas in the Alively World community. I could stay on your sofas as you're listening for the next year and end up writing a book about the experience. Could do that instead. Or I could start a crypto coin and then come back on the global talent visa. That's an option. I don't know that I want to do it. It doesn't matter that I do or don't want to do it. It's just a different option. Do you see how much looser and lighter this the visa has to work out or I lose my flat and I'm homeless forever and I'm miserable and I've done it all over again kind of it is. And then I love the the next one. This is probably my favorite one. Or the visa could not work out. So I end up going to LA for some reason. And then Henry Cavill meets me and he's already just recently broken up in this fantasy scenario with his current girlfriend. And then he ends up marrying me and I have a UK partner visa and I'm married to Henry Cavill and we start a family. That could happen. That could be a potential. Or I could end up switching careers and coming back on a different sponsor visa. So here we go. We've got Henry Cavill. We've got books like Eckhart Tolle. We've got Oprah in the mix. There's so many things that could happen besides the fact that this visa that I've applied for has worked out or not, or that I stay in this flat or not. There's so many potentials. So that number of 20 is a lot, right? I had to go in a lot of different dimensions. My mind had to grow out of its duality mentality in order to think that big and broad. And as you saw, there's a lot of playfulness, there's a lot of joy, but I was really kind of obviously cherry picking positive potentials, even if they were wildly less likely to happen. (laughs) They were obviously ones where I'd be like, oh, I could end up blessing the experience and being happy and saying, oh, I'm so glad the visa didn't work out and I'm so glad I didn't stay in that flat. So you just got to try that with yourself. And I promise you, it seems weird and your mind will make a bunch of reasons not wanting to do that. But as you do it and you break open and say, what else could happen? It starts to get fun. Now, I've got a real life story for this. It's kind of just like this. And I just has been unfolding in the last 24 hours. So I thought I would share this too. I have a friend in Portugal who needs to start a business bank account. So this is real world stuff again. And she has this business bank account in Portugal she wants to start. So she has a lot of pressure to start this too from different people that need to give her invoices to go into this account. So she's been working on getting it. But because of the 
governmental agencies of Portugal. Some of them have closed. And now at the moment, I guess there's residency issues for people to get certificates of residency, even though this person's lived here for nine years in Portugal and pays taxes every year. Her international status as a Portuguese person or as a resident of Portugal is currently inactive based on the closure of CEF. And I don't know, all the, I haven't been keeping up with Portuguese legislation or CEF or anything like that. But those that live in Portugal might know the details that she's dealing with. But basically, she needs a certificate of residence in order to open this bank account. Even though she lives here legally, even though she pays her taxes legally, everything she's doing is great. But the certificate of residency as the fact that there's no way to actually get it because the actual place doesn't have a way for people to get their certificates, she's not able to open it. So she spent four or five hours with the first bank that she was working with, which is, you know, a common one that people use in the uh, in Portugal. She was telling me about this. Now, as she's telling me about this, we had two meals together. We had a dinner one night and then we had coffee yesterday. And so I heard about this unfolding drama with the bank accounts both days. But the first night she was telling me, hey, why don't you try to get a date? Because I didn't have anything to do last night. She said, why don't you try to get a date? So (laughs) I was on the dating apps and I had Raya. I don't know if you guys know, it's irrelevant, but I have Hinge and Raya and I use both of those dating apps. And on the Raya app, you had 10 days to talk to somebody. And I, 10 days ago, matched with someone that happened to live in Lisbon. And we haven't chatted. This is very common for Raya is to match and not chat. But that day that he was expiring. It's 555 as I say this. It's so aligned. Okay. So that day that she's telling me I should find somebody to go on a date with to this new restaurant, he messages me. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And his description, I really only know like one detail about him. I, I can see his pictures and it says asset management director or something on his... <laughs> Uh, description on his profile. And so the next day, she's uh, he starts chatting with me. And I'm just kind of like, you know, just having a little bit of chit chat, nothing detailed. But then the next day, as she's telling me about all the hours she's frustrated and sa- spent that morning at the bank and how she now has to buy a flight to go out of the country to get a stamp returning back into Portugal. And how frustrating that is because that's the way around this certificate of residency thing that she needs. And she's so frustrated. She's like, I don't even need to go to a different country because she's actually flying internationally through Switzerland to Australia. But long story short, she has to now make up this random other flight so that she can get this passport stamp. And then that's supposedly going to get around this residency certificate. I just say, you know what? That guy is an asset management director. It sounds like he works at a bank. Do you want me to message him? So I message the guy and I say, hey, is there any way you know anybody because he's Portuguese too, which obviously anyone you know that might be local might possibly, possibly know somebody that works at a Portuguese bank. So we just, I just sent him the message, say, hey, do you know? And he goes, actually, I work at a bank. And I was like, ah, I was right. I was right. Okay. So he said, and I can help you. So I tell him the situation and my friend's situation. And then he (laughs) gives me the link or the information for her to reach out. And he arranges a meeting with his coworker for my friend to have a call. So yesterday evening, she had a call with the guy after she bought the flight to London because of the other bank's insistence that she had to leave the country in order to return, in order to show her passport stamp. She's like, told me in the midday, she's like, yeah, I bought a flight for like 9 a.m. and I return at 4 p.m. It's going to be the most expensive airport food I have ever bought because I'm just going to go to London, eat food there, and then take another flight and come home on Saturday. But in the two-minute call she has with this guy's contact, 
at the bank that he works at, the guy's like, oh, I don't think that's necessary at all. And today she said it could not have been a different experience. Instead of the four or five hours and all of these problems and all of these issues the other bank was presenting, she went, she got a hug, she got this like amazing service and it was done in the day and she got to cancel her flight to London. So when we were having the coffee and she was hyper stressed and annoyed at the very understandably annoying situation, I even said, well, I'm teaching the class on the friendly unknown. Maybe we should befriend it. And lo and behold, all of this happened. Now, that potential basically for her would have been, hmm, well, maybe and all of those 20 potentials, your friend is on a dating app and she talks to somebody that works at a bank and then he's able to sort this out really easily. That was a potential that actually happened to my friend's bank account story. So could she have planned that? No. Could she have thought that was going to happen? No. Was she even friendly with the unknown? Not really. <laughs> but did the friendly unknown actually happen? It did. So I leave you with that, my friends, for this week. I hope that something wonderful, unexpected, and magical happens to you in your friendly unknown. And as always, may something wonderful happen to you today. 